Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, we're here and we're back. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday. Yay! Again, you're in quarantine. Yeah, not that it fucking matters out there. No. Everything's closed. No, I lost track of the days. You can't even... No, I think you can still go to the bank, can't you? You can still go to fucking coffee shops, dude. I work at one. Yeah, that's true. You can you pretty it's much crazy. do whatever you want, but you just like shouldn't. Yeah, and so I work I here with it's, you. It's like America. So it is like America. You could kind of do your thing. America. That's Mitch. America. Mitch is here, too. It's Hello. Great. Mitch is whipped up. We're doing the podcast earlier in the day today, dude. We yeah, the sun's out, do. and I don't like it. It's fucking beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Now that I've Jones done time, that. Right? We are starting a cult. That's Grant. I'm Jake. Mitch is here. There we go. What's up? Nothing, man. We're going to talk about people dying. Eventually. Eventually. They die. And they die fast. I want to hear about this Mr. Jones. Mr. Mr. Jones. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about Bob Dylan. I was trying to sing Bob Dylan. I was doing the Bob Dylan thing. I was thinking that, and then I went into Indiana Jones. Yeah, what is it? Was, was it a short round? Yeah, I was being very dynamic. You know, I was... Pop, 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 pop. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop. Last week we were talking about Mr. Jim and you know his time uh, in Indianapolis and Indiana. Now we're going to talk out. about Jim and his time in Indianapolis and Indiana. Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about a couple different things today. So, uh, fucking put your seatbelts on. Your metaphorical seatbelts. That'll be funny in? first. Something that's way later on. Get in. All right. Let's we'll do talk it, about Jake. the seatbelts. Jim Let's Jones, right? We talked about him in Indianapolis. We mentioned the uh, racial integration that he he did there, right? With the whole restaurants and things. Uh, we also mentioned that he had a way with old people, right? They loved him. They fucking ate this guy up. Uh, yeah, so uh, he's an indie. He's a huge thing with the, with the old people. Uh, yeah, a huge thing that he contributed... Uh, in uh, gain that also gained him like trust, you know, in the community was the fact that he and Marceline would take in elderly people and care for them in their home. He just he just did that. He loved it. 
And this would uh, eventually branch out into like corporation-sized nursing homes all put together by by Jones. Really? Isn't that crazy? See, so he had a good side a little bit. Sort of. But uh, the whole thing about that is, uh, well, I mean, it, it created trust, right, in the community. Uh, it gave some of the members of People's Temple jobs because they were working in the the, uh, the homes, right? But uh, most notably, it would give Jim Jones access to an insane amount of money. Because what he would do is he would like go to these elderly people, and he'd be like, hey, come live with me, you can't take care of yourself, what are you doing? And then they would just sign over their houses and all their assets to him, and they just belong to him. So he's getting money, he's looking good for the community, he's, he's working it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening. I just—it's you, son of a bitch. It sounds like it's all in his favor. That's what's crazy about this. No. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of his thing. You know, it's like you get everyone to suck in and do what you want them to do. Yeah. Exactly. It's perfect. It's you, how you gain control. You know. You gotta make it seem like you're doing it for everyone else, but really you're just taking old people's shit. I feel like that still happens nowadays. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. Probably more so because you can do it like under the now sheet it's just, of government. Yeah, and, like, it's just law. through emails now. Yeah, like they're just like, like your son is in prison, so we're emailing you to get them bail money to get him out. Here's $5,000. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, Granny. What are you doing? Oh, God. But that wasn't the only thing he did, right? Uh, Jim also founded a cafe called the Free Restaurant. Uh, that would serve close to about 2,800 people uh, every week. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. Wait, so it's a he, restaurant that serves 2,800 people a week? Pretty much, yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. The number is large, but as a successful business, I don't know. I don't know enough about business. Well, let's break that into like seven, right? So daily, that would be like... Like 400 people a day. 400 people a day, that's pretty damn good. And it's free. Yeah, Why that's wouldn't not people true. come in, you that's know? Not, that's very true. That That is a huge influx. I was, I'm, I'm picking it up now. There we go. There we go. I'm here. I'm a little slow, but I got it. I'm All good. Right. <clears throat> All right. Cool. He also organized like clothing drives. Uh, he put together youth programs to keep kids off the streets. And on drugs. And on drugs. He was, like, he was just an amazing guy. Like, get great. off the streets and do this heroin, Jim. <laughs> Jim? Wouldn't that be a He's great... He's just like, in the mirror talking to himself, like, hmm, you gotta do that heroin, Jim. Get these kids off the street and fucking blast off. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> but it was uh, it was during this time, in the mid-50s, uh, when Jim would gain um, the followers that would become his most loyal members of Jonestown. After Jonestown would come to... Uh, Come into existence. You guys are doing a little dance party over there. I like that. Yeah, we are. We are. I'm like triple tasking right now. It's kind of crazy. I'm getting dizzy. Yeah. We're all dizzy. Okay, go on. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> Jim uh, gained ties with uh, an established church known as the First Disciples of Christ, which while giving him like legitimacy in the eyes of uh, his ever-growing congregation, it also gave the People's Temple... Tax exempt status, that ever elusive status. That's smart. It is, dude. You got you got to do it. All those assets you're seizing, not having to pay any taxes. That's fucking awesome. But uh, all this considered, uh, Jim Jones was a well liked guy, right? He had no one uh, really opposing him in any way. Uh, no enemies. 
But there's one thing that he learned from, uh, what was that guy? Uh, Reverend uh, Jealous. Jealous something. Father Divine? Yeah. Jealous that was Divine. A bad squeak. Father Divine. <laughs> but Hello. No. Hello. I'm back now. Sorry. That was fucked up. It was all good, dude. But yeah, if there's one thing he learned from uh, uh, Father Divine there, it was that uh, a good leader of uh, one of these uh, situations that Jim's getting himself into has to have an enemy. Someone that uh, he can, like, you know, pin everyone against, and there's, like, a common enemy among it. So, uh, that's a problem, because he doesn't have any enemies. Everyone's digging what he's doing, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Mm. Jim, uh, because of this, he would, uh, he would fake some assassination attempts, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, there was one time he actually, like, just stepped outside of his home. Uh, shot a bullet into a pillar on the porch, and then ran back inside and was just like, someone just tried to fucking kill me. And uh, he called the cops, you know, because everyone's there. And the cops are like, sir, this came from your gun. Pretty it much, They pretty much just called him out on it. They're like, uh, we, yeah, this is, nothing, nothing's happening here. Like, you're fine. Like, you shot it, didn't you? And he was just like, no, someone tried to shoot me. But, uh, yeah, so they just, like, they were just like, all right, well, we're going to get the fuck out of here because that's not what happened. But, uh, yeah, so Jim actually used this scenario, like, in recounting it, like, in his, uh, what are they called? Memoirs. Yeah, his memoirs. But no, when he was talking to everybody, you know, every Sunday. Yeah. He, uh. The white Knights. Yeah, there you go. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were Rainbow Knights, Grant. No. No, you'll see. Is it white or black that's just made up of all of the colors? Black, I think. It, right. White is like void of color. Black is every color. I thought it was brown. I have a brown shoe. Like poop. Yeah, you know when you, like in art class, when you mixed all the colors together when you were a kid? It turned into brown. It did turn into brown. Just like everything. Fuji, everything. But... So, uh, yeah, so he claimed he got shot at, the police came, they were like, bullshit, and then they left, and then Jim used this uh, in talking to his congregation, he was like, you know what, people are trying to kill me, and the cops aren't even helping, like, you, they're useless, and they're not to be trusted, further, you know, making uh, making him their, the center of their world, he's the only protector of them, you know. Uh, so now, with all this uh, deception, uh, one genuine fear that Jim had, was of the Russian invasion. Because, you know, it was the time of the Red Scare. But he actually was afraid of this. And, uh, yeah. So it got, eh, it was in this time period, you know, it got to him. And he told his congregation that they, uh, they needed to get out of Indy ASAP. Right? He's like, we gotta leave. So, uh, this is when Jim Jones, uh, would first start scouting other parts of the world for a place uh, where People's Temple could, you know, hold up. And in this particular case, he went to Brazil, right? In an attempt to uh, recruit the poor and uh, disenfranchised, you know, just as he did in Indy. It's a good but, move. Uh, it's a bold move. Yeah. See if it pays off for him. But the whole thing about Brazil at the time, uh, there were a lot, like way more poor people, and uh, they weren't like the poor people of the U.S. No. And These also, were poor people. Just a huge thing. Um, he didn't speak Portuguese, so he just couldn't talk to anyone. He's like, hello, can you understand me? And they're like, que pasa, nosa, senor? No, it's insane. And he's like, anyways, come with me. And they're like, 
fuck is this guy? <laughs> My apologies to uh, the Portuguese. I only know certain Spanish phrases. I know that wasn't Portuguese. <laughs> but I don't know how to say I think anything every, in Portuguese. I think we're good. I think we're good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the impoverished were too plentiful and just downright not like the uh, poor of the U.S. Uh, yeah, he didn't speak Portuguese. Uh, so when he got back uh, to Indy, and he spent two years there, right? He he was in two year he was in Brazil for like two years trying to scout and like make this work. He brought his whole family, you know. He's like, "We're moving to Brazil." It's like a Simpsons episode. It is kind of. He just like, walks in the front door. He's like, "Kids, we're moving to Brazil." The Joneses like, are going to Brazil. What? Why, Dad? And he's like, "Cause I said so." Now get in the van. And we're all going. We're <laughs> never coming back here. We're driving all the way there. All right. But no, yeah, he, he just like picked up the family and he left and uh, he was there for two years. And so this left, uh, you know, the People's Temple in Indy just to kind of fall apart. Because people didn't really come to the uh, congregations and whatnot for like the the worship and all that kind of jazz. Uh, it, they, they came for Jim Jones because he was a personality. He made him feel good. He was just, you know, he was a good man. And uh, without him, all of it kind of just dwindled and started falling apart. So when he got back to Indy, uh, he made up a story to his remaining congregation that a woman in a high position in Brazil's government had asked him to fuck her, right? Ooh, all right. Classic, uh... Classic Jones maneuver. Yeah, classic preaching topics. Uh, so yeah. And uh, he was like, yeah, uh, I'll do it, but only if you donate $5,000 to the local orphanage. Not the one in Indy, like just some the closest orphanage in Brazil at the time, I guess. But uh, yeah, and I guess she agreed. And uh, whenever he told this story, he would not, uh, he wouldn't leave out the fact that he just, he just satisfied her to completion so well. And uh, yeah, and he was like, you know what? This is a good example of, uh, of you know, it, it's okay to bend your morals. For the greater good, you know. Sometimes you gotta just bend your morals for, for for what what you know needs to be done. Uh yeah, I'm on this guy's side, right? So he spent two years in Brazil. Uh, just church back in India was falling apart. Uh, he came back. He told the story. Yeah, you know. And uh, when he came back uh, to his congregation, it was like a fraction of what it once was. Uh, in an attempt to regain his followers, right? Uh, Jones retook over this radio show that he had had uh, before he left, whereon he would just like talk about preachy good just, things. Yeah, just being overall like positive, like it was good. Just like a Joel Osteen type. Yeah, yeah. Seven Hundred Club, that kind of thing. Yeah, nah, I would tune in at least twice. Yeah, but it's always on accident. It just comes on after like. Yeah, the but George you, Lopez show, and then you're like, what the fuck am I watching? But then it, it hooks you in. It's like the, the knife salesman that's on at like 3 in the morning. Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't want to watch this paid programming, but I'm going to because what's he going to pull out on. next? <laughs> this bitch just fucking cooked a whole turkey in a pressure cooker in 20 minutes. What's going to happen in the next fucking five minutes? Exactly. You got to call now and find out. But, uh, yeah, so he retook over this uh, this radio show that he had had. And when he left for Brazil, he, like, put it in the hands of some other guy that he trusted. He was like, all right, this man is also a preacher. He's a good man. Take it over, man. And then he came back, trying to regain his uh, his uh, congregation, right? Um, but this time, he had cut out the Bible completely, right? 
Uh, he would preach socialism, and he would drop just huge insinuations that maybe I'm a prophet, huh? Maybe old Jimmy's a prophet. I, I you know, I'm. I've been toying with the idea of going prophet, okay, guys, but I don't know. I just just keep it in your mind. What do you, what do you think? What do you think? Would you be do? upset if I told you I was a prophet? Because. Ding, 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 well, ding. I might be. He doesn't want to go full-blown, I'm the second coming of Jesus. No, he does. I'll be back. I'm getting a drink. Not quite yet. But no, yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the show, it was shut down, obviously, right? Because uh, you can't have that on the airwaves. Uh, profit, profit, uh, profiteering? That's not the right. I'm just singing profits now. But uh, yeah, so uh, eventually it was shut down, and Jim realized that his time in Indy was ending. Right. Uh, he then decided to move uh, to a place called Ukiah, California. Right, convincing his congregation to follow him. Uh, about a uh, hundred people followed him to Redwood Valley, which was just south of Ukiah. And uh, this was all in light of you know the nuclear holocaust that he foresaw from the Russians. Right, right, the Russians, and. Uh, he would tell his congregation uh, multiple times, just this made-up exact date that he foresaw. Um, July 15th. When he would all go down. Yeah. And there were multi- like other ones. Like Once once that date passed, he was just like, well, there's, it's actually August 32nd. It's, it's like, like that Park- doesn't exist. He's like, oh, you wait until it happens. It's like Parks and Rec with like Zorp or whatever. <laughs> He's like... The end of the world is on May 23rd. She's like, ah, the park is booked that day. He's like, hold on. No, I think the end of the world is April 1st. (laughs) She's like, yeah, we're good. Then he's like, excellent. (laughs) That's like what Jim Jones is doing at home. He's like, honey, what's a good day for the world to end? Pretty much. That's that's pretty much how it it would go down once they passed, right? So they moved to uh, Ukiah, right? The population was like 15,000. They were all white, just people in isolation, sort of. They are all pro-Vietnam. Uh, it was a very different sort of uh, population than what he was used to. And the, the hundred people that came from People's Temple, like with Jim Jones, they were, it was mostly people of color, like we were talking about. Uh, they weren't necess- they, they stuck out a lot. Let's just say that, right? When they went to Ukiah, California. Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they were not looked on kindly. Apparently, uh, Jim decided to make his uh, new targets of recruitment the white, rich, and powerful. Wow. Which is just, it's like... I mean, it's its how you're going to build a, it a is healthy a, base. It's a natural know? stepping stone from where he is, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. It really does. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was mostly he was going for people like that were white and like had money, somewhat power, you know. Uh, people that were disillusioned with society, uh, people that didn't really have problems, but they recognized that other people did, and they kind of wanted to like change it. You know, it was all about spreading good, making good changes, and he he he, he made it work. Yeah, you know exactly. He used kind of what he had to his advantage and just fucking stuck to it, and it worked. He was getting people left and right. Yeah, he was, and the way he would do it. He uh, he would actually have like members kind of lightly interrogating people members. under the guise of just like friendly conversation. <laughs> members, nice. <laughs> it means phallic. 
Anyways, continue. You son of a bitch. I'm trying to lighten the mood here, all right? It's quarantine just time. just talking about penises. It's quarantine time, baby. It is. We got to talk about penis. But anyway, yeah, so he would <laughs> he would have members uh, lightly interrogate these people that he would like kind of consider to be uh, people that could join, right? He would kind of lightly, uh, they would lightly interrogate them in the guise of friendly conversation. Uh, once they felt that they were right for the People's Temple, uh, they would direct him to Jim Jones and he would like swoop in. And apparently he had this like ability to make it. It was like uh, what they say about Bill Clinton. You know, they're just like, you can, schmoozer. like you can talk to him and he'll make you feel like you're the only person in the room. Like yeah. That kind of shit. Yeah. Like he would just have a very deep like talk with them and he would, he would just win them over. Um, it, it, this happened with all the people, man. Older people, younger people, college-aged people. Uh, they were all recruited, right? I like these spontaneous dances that you, that you guys are doing today. <laughs> just it, it's feels all, like it needs to happen. It's all shoulders, dude. I love it. But, uh, yeah, so one thing that uh, Jim began telling his congregation, because, you know, it was growing. He was, he was doing well. They had this new... Uh, they had this new area in the Redwood Valley in the middle of the Redwood Forest. It was great. You're just bopping around like you guys right now. It was great. All right. We're silently dancing. Just one second, guys. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm, the Red Forest kind of made me feel like... Made me feel like dancing. Make I want to dance the night away. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, he, he began telling his congregation uh, semi-regularly, like just here and there, you know, that... Uh, he had these things called accident cycles that he would convince everyone that they were in. And what an accident cycle was is basically, like, everyone just had to be really careful because he, for some reason, knew that one of them was going to have a terrible accident and one would possibly die, you know? Okay. So he basically was just like, everyone just be fucking careful, all right? Be very careful. And, uh, yeah, uh, so during uh, one of these accident cycles that he claimed... A follower named Whitey Firestone. Uh, wow. Yeah, Whitey Talk Firestone. Talk about a fucking alias. That is not that guy's real name. I don't believe it I really it at hope all. it's not. I mean, hey, do you think it's like Firestone Tires? Firestone. Do you think he was like, oh, maybe. What, what, how does that go? It's like, you drive a Firestone. It's like supposed to make <laughs> you want to have one. <laughs> what? In the commercial. How does it go? You drive a Firestone. It's, it's like it's, this is a normal sentence. Some guy like says it in a commercial and it makes you like want to feel cool, but it's like it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of like tire, the man. Allstate guy with a super deep voice. Like I don't trust state. that guy. You don't? No, I don't trust that guy at all. Why There's not? something about him I just don't trust. Was it that commercial where he was in the middle of the intersection, all the cars were like whizzing by him, sitting in a chair? Yeah, but in that same commercial, when he's walking, his foot goes into like a, a divot in the road. And he just looks really dumb for a second, and that was a huge error that they should have fixed. <laughs> he, he appeared imperfect in my eyes for he one did. split second. And I want perfection so for my fucking insurance he's companies. He's just ruined. Ah, uh, yeah. But all right, so Whitey Firestone, right? <laughs> this this fucking clown's name. All right, so uh, he drove his family off a cliff. Why did he do that? I don't know, really. I just uh, was it like yeah. a was it like a crazy thing? Was it, it like a personal thing? Supposedly, it was like an accident. I don't know. Like the the area they were in was like very dangerous. Like the roads weren't good, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he uh, he drove his family off of a cliff, 
And uh, they all survived, uh, but one of his sons, right? So Jim claimed to have healed all the other living members that survived. And I don't know what that kid did to, like, piss him off or something, but he didn't save him. But, uh, yeah, so uh, he, he kind of used this event to legitimize uh, the accident cycles, right? Furthering his power over his followers. Uh, there were also uh, there was also this other, other occasion with the going around the accident cycles, where a uh, a woman left one of the uh, the meetings. That's another thing. Whenever he would, uh, whenever he would like get them all together and just talk, he, they would call them meetings and not like services or whatever else you might uh, call it. Today, like yeah. what about church? He's like, it's a meeting. Damn it! Stop asking me about this. <laughs> Yeah. So one day after a meeting, uh, an elderly woman died in a car accident uh, just after the service, after the meeting. So Jim claimed to have told her to meditate for two minutes before she drove, right? He was like, you got to do this or it's going to be bad shit. So he was like, yeah, all right. I told her to meditate for two minutes. She disregarded me. Uh, And she died. She just died. So this kind of instilled, like, this was, like, one of the more, like, uh, on-the-nose examples of him trying to instill the in the followers that uh, they needed to do exactly, as he said, whatever it was, as stupid or, like, small as it might seem. You have to do it or you risk dying. Yeah. You know? Talk about a quick recovery time, too. I mean, like, someone dies and your first reaction is to be like, like I, can I, use told this. Her, I told her so. <laughs> If she would have fucking listened to me, she wouldn't have died. Exactly. Like, uh, Mr. Jones, it was a heart attack, sir. He's like, it's not my fucking You should have meditated for two minutes. The heart attack would have been staved off. I told her. I told her it would have been fine. That's, that's like, that's fucking psychotic behavior. That's fucking crazy. But it's, I mean, makes sense. Dude, he was quick on his feet. He improvised all the time. And like kinda kinda going into that, one of the main things that uh the former members like recount about Jim Jones, like the ones that are, you know, still alive, um, is that basically he Jim Jones was anything you needed him to be. Like anything you came there looking for, like that's what he was. You know, because, like his actual talks like to the entire like group of people, the entire congregation during the meetings. Uh-huh. Uh, they would kind of be just like blanketed sort of speeches that were just just vague enough to kind of apply to all to apply to you specifically. In like you just put it together in your own head. Right? Yeah, you could find your own meaning. Yeah, but when he had you like one on one, he would just kind of change anything that you thought you got out of what he said earlier to make it fit you to like basically just be whatever you want, dude. Like some people were looking for gods themselves some people were looking for father figures some people were just looking for faith he did that for everyone individually so i'm gathering this guy would have been like a killer t-ball coach oh like he would have rallied that team to a state championship oh god they would have they would have gotten so far in the finals if he would have just focused his energy on sports that guy would have made like a, a literal killing and i don't mean that in the funny sense i mean that in the literal sense he would Which be is kind rich. Of, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, dude. He like yeah. He would pretty much be anything you wanted. Um, his followers took to calling him dad. They well, would get, like you know, father. But they they would literally just say like, yeah, dad. They cut through like father. They're like, there's nothing sacred about this man. He's just dad. 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 
Daddy Jimbo. Yeah, it's good, dude. But, uh, well, it's not good, you know. But uh, things remained kind of semi-stagnant regarding, like, recruitment for a few years. But uh, this was up until the assassination of the one and only Martin Luther King Jr. MLK. Right? All damn day. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the streets named after him. So upon his assassination, uh, a one of the biggest black churches in San Francisco held like a memorial service, and it was open to the public. And Jim, I like, heard about it. He was like, "I'm on that shit. We are all coming." He uh, he caught wind of it. He loaded up his entire congregation into buses and vans, and they attended. Right, and they they were all genuinely they were genuinely sad by his like the loss of him because you know they're all about human rights and like racial equality and stuff they were deeply saddened by it so they were all genuinely reacting to it you know how someone would so after um after the service the members of uh people's temple began talking talking themselves up right uh they were talking themselves up to the point where many people in attendance from uh, san francisco decided to go to uh ukiah california where they were in the redwood valley to uh, check him out, right? And many of them uh, were brought in to uh, the People's Temple due to the, you know, the racial equality, the religious aspects. Um, they were also captivated by the, uh, uh, you know, the, the healings that Jim would do. Let me tell you a little bit about these healings, right? Give me the healings, baby. So he would have members kind of like go around and just like talk. Because, uh, you know, it's like a congregation, everyone's outside talking, it's time to go in, now we all sit down, you know? But, like, while they were outside, like, just talking and, like, bullshitting and whatnot, he would have members go around and just kind of listen in to people's conversations, just to get, like, information about them, and then he would, they would just kind of go back and report it back to Jim, and be like, that guy, that guy eats cereal on Thursdays, but oatmeal every other day and like just little stupid things like that right so <laughs> he used this like just all these weird like little tidbits of information to make it appear as if he was like reading the minds of these people and like bringing up like problems in their lives and then he would be like you are healed and like you know he would do a whole like theatrical like healing yeah. pretending to have like inside knowledge about them uh so they were all very impressed by that right uh, they were involved, you know, it's a kind of mind-reading type trickery. Um, so before this, before all these people from San Francisco came in with all the, like, religious aspects of it, right, um, the People's Temple had kind of just been, like, a socialist sort of, like, uh, ideals, like, we need to just get people to, you know, uh, make good. We need more people to make these changes, because, you know... Any uh, any big change that you want to make, you got to have numbers for it, right? So, uh, all these members uh, came from San Francisco, and they were all very religious, obviously. They got them from a church. And uh, Jim kind of told all the, uh, the previous members that had been, you know, kind of non-religious that, you know, this religious aspects, the, the uh, religious aspects of this right now are just simply a means to an end, right? Uh... We need more members, and the religious aspect is what's bringing these people in. So, you know, let's just do it. Let's, uh, it's, it's the best way to go about it, right? And they got so many fucking people. Like, 
So many people. Uh, in 1966, the People's Temple, was it was at its lowest, right? It was at 86 members. By the end of the 60s, they had 500. And then just a few years later, in 73, they had 3,000, dude. Just oh, yeah. the, this method of like religious, but also like a secret group of people who were just like, all right, yeah, we'll just play into it. He just grew like enormously. Oh, yeah. So what we have here is uh, by the 70s, right, the People's Temple uh, had, had all but infiltrated uh, California. They had locations. Are you guys ready for all their locations? Yep. Ukiah, Santa Rosa, Sacramento, San Francisco, Bakersfield, Fresno, and L.A. They were all People's Temple's members gathering in these locations by the 70s. Is that not fucking bad shit crazy? It's pretty fucking crazy. And Jim can't be everywhere, so they're just doing it on their own. Yeah. So what they would do is they would go around uh, the Bay Area in the early 70s, and they would put advertisements on uh, like bus caravans that were owned by the People's Temple, mm-hmm. and they would just try to recruit people. Um, and the church that was in Redwood Valley was uh, referred to as the Mother Church. And this is where, like, the hub was. This is where everybody was. Mm-hmm. Um, where all the meetings went down. Yeah, and that is uh, in Mendocino County, just so you want, I don't know. I just found that just information. It's a fun word to say. Um, so now that they had, like, a permanent facility in San Francisco, uh, they used the building that uh, was initially Albert Pike's Memorial Scottish Rite Temple. That was the building they took kind of a handful of a name um so they took that and then by 1972 they built one in los angeles uh they purchased uh the building for one hundred and twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars and uh they got to work so they're doing this thing it's just like a community thing they're essentially right now they're like a community outreach program that kind of practices like faith in a sense yeah and uh they started uh, living in communes, essentially, was what they would do in California. Um, they would pretty much be around uh, the San Francisco area, and they would all just live together, sharing everything they had, and any excess money that didn't need to go back to like the funds of the group would go back into the People's Temple itself. Um, so... Pretty much what was happening in these uh, communes were, like, the children were raised by everyone. There was no, like, parents. You know, it was just, like, a communal ownership of everybody. Um, And if any children acted out, they would bring them in front of the group and beat them with a wooden paddle in front of the other members as a form of, like, embarrassment. Uh, And then eventually they turned it into boxing matches. They would make the kids (laughs) box each other. Oh, my God. Did they make all the people like box each other? No, no, the kids or just the kids. No, the kids wouldn't box each other. Like if the kid was like being disciplined, they would box like an adult member of the congregation. Oh my god! Um, and then eventually this moved into the adults also. So if you stepped out of line as an adult, you would get paddled, and then you would have to box. Just like a seventy-year-old grandma, just like getting wailed on by Muhammad Ali. Um, so these uh, meetings, they called them the planning commission meetings, okay? And they would run, like, all night, like, 12 hours. 
and uh, there were long sessions um, where people would be picked out of the crowd, and they would be brought in front of everyone, and they would have what they would call um, emotional dissections. So they that would sounds terrifying. They would just kind <laughs> yeah. of pick you apart as a person in front of the group. And just make you sit there and take it. Yeah. During these meetings also, like, they would lock the doors and have no place to go to the bathroom. So, mm-hmm. he, like, there was one member who uh, recounted, like, a meeting. Because he's, he's, like, still alive. It was after the fact. But he apparently saw a grown man just pass out and just piss his pants. Oh, yeah. No, I, it I, just, I it would, They were just fucking crazy. Um, so, during these meetings, uh, the people were on the floor and the crowd was encouraged to make fun of them. For wearing such nice clothes and eating such good food while people were around the world poor and starving. Uh, everyone else had to, you know, rip on this guy in the center. And uh, the person being accused of all this was not allowed to defend themselves. That was just customary of these meetings. You just kind of took them. I wonder what would happen if you defended yourself. <laughs> yeah. So then, by this time, they started shrinking the commune down and selling it out as condo space. Mm-hmm. to make some more money. And uh, they were, you know, grabbing people's possessions that they thought were unnecessary, and they'd sell them at flea markets and shit. Um, pretty much what would happen is they couldn't handle pets. So the security chief, Jim McElvin, would round up any pets that were found on the property and shoot them and bury them in mass graves. Okay. Just, just you know. Yeah. Um, Normal stuff. And then they would have uh, pretty much Jones would blackmail the people here. And what he would do is he would have them sign documents, like legally binding documents that say that they were do- involved in this crime, like this robbery, this, or they did this, or they were conspiring against the government. And he would hold on to them. And then if you spoke out of turn, he would have this blackmail and say, you know, you can leave my temple, but then I'm going to give this to the police where you just admitted to, you know, molesting your own daughter. There you go. So he's got people in a stronghold here. They kind of can't leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by the late, uh, by late 72, uh, he, Jim Jones had met Dr. Carlton Goodlett, uh, who was the publisher of the San Francisco newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Sun Reporter. And this was targeted, uh, this Sun reporter was targeted at African-American readers. And uh, they met because they would go to the same, like, political rallies. And uh, they just kind of hit it off. They were friends. Um, So now this is where he kind of gets a foot in the door with the media. So he's friends with Dr. Carlton Goodlett. And uh, Carlton Goodlett is friends with uh, Michael Prokes who was a reporter for the CBS-affiliated version of The Sun Reporter. Um, so now they're all kind of in alliance, right? And this is when they print the People's Forum newspaper. And this was in uh, The Sun Reporter. So this was Jim Jones' own personal column in the newspaper, where he would kind of relate stories of you know what they do and how they operate and why you should join. It's journalism at its best. Yeah. Um, so at this point, by the end of 76, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit for numbers here. Yeah, why not? Um, the circulation of this magazine and this forum specifically was reaching upwards of 600,000 people, like on a regular basis. That is a wide-ass net. Um, yeah, so 
the average San Francisco uh, citizen would probably see this paper at that time. Um, and while this was happening in the same paper, the Sun reporter would actually write articles, you know, praising People's Temple and Jim Jones himself about just how amazing he is and shit like that, you know. So now they got all this going. They got all this going. This is when he starts doing his uh, radio show, and uh, it was syndicated in multiple cities, and it ran on a KFAX out of San Francisco. I think this guy just really wanted to be on the radio, because this is the second time he's doing it. Yeah. Um, so now he's kind of got that. They're friends, you know, they're, they're meeting the right people, and now they start getting into volunteering uh, in politics. So they would bring people from the People's Temple to go to rallies and marches and stuff and get people involved, right? Mm -hmm. So all this is happening. Um, they're opening buildings around the county that Jim Jones and his congregation are there to like help with and stuff. Yeah. So while at one of these meetings with his congregation, uh, former California State Assemblyman William Brown uh, met Jim Jones. Um. So, Jim Jones send, sends Michael Prokes, the reporter, the old CBS reporter, mm -hmm. uh, to Willie Brown's office to interview him. And uh, he also got an interview with uh, the district attorney, Joseph Freitas, and the future sheriff, Richard Hangisto. <laughs> and they got all this, this stuff documented because uh, they were actually filming a documentary for the People's Temple called Miracles. I love that. And um, so he just kind of became friends with these guys, right? Um, Willie Brown introduced uh, this man named George Moscone to the People's Temple. And George would later become the mayor of San Francisco. Jesus. So, you know, now they're, they're buddy buddy. So yeah. it's 75. And George Moscone, uh, he's going up against John Barbagaletta. Barbara Galetta. <laughs> mm -hmm. All these names are crazy. Uh, so Jim Jones would meet with uh, Moscone, uh, with Michael Prove, or Prokes, sorry, not Proves, uh, and he would have all of his temple members doing campaign work, like door-to-door -door shit, signs, all of that. They were doing everything. Did they have monkeys? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, so now he is endorsing all of the people that he's friends with. Which, you know, makes sense. Why wouldn't you? They're your friends. Yeah. Um, so, the votes come in, right? Moscone received a 12 to 1 victory vote margin over Babagaleta, which is, like, astonishing. Yeah. That's, like, fucking crazy. Um, so, all three of Jim Jones's friends won. They all get into their, you know, seats. One's the sheriff, the district attorney, and now the mayor. So this fucking town is his. He's you know? got it in his fucking pocket. Um, so after this, they kind of have a press conference with the new mayor, right? And he says that it wouldn't have been possible without the uh, you know concerted efforts of the people from the People's Temple and Jim Jones uh, for coming out and helping out, you know? Boom. All this shit's going down. He's just getting in a sweet position, right? So... All this is leading up to Jim Jones getting into politics himself, right? Clearly. That's where we're going. Mm -hmm. um, Harvey Milk 
if you know the name. Yeah, I, yeah, Milk. I'm not entirely. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I don't know enough about Harvey Milk. I know he was a, a politician. They made that movie about him. Two percent whole. Anyways, uh, Jim Jones uh, actually helped him run for California State Assembly. So cool. they were kind of cool. And um, they they didn't really have many issues, but I think they kind of didn't get along. That's kind of the vibe I was getting. Yeah. But H- Him and Milk? Yeah. 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 We'll get into his views on people who are gay. Yeah. Later. Yeah, we will. Um, so he does that. Now that's just another big name player that he knows. You know what I'm saying? So this guy's moving. Um. At this point, he's uh, actually in the political scene. Like, he's a very big name. People know who he is in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And um, he actually had a few meetings with members of the administration for Jimmy Carter before he won the presidency. Really? Yeah. Uh, George Moscone and Jim Jones uh, met privately with Walter Mondale, who was the vice president. Uh, on the campaign trail uh, at the San Francisco airport. Um, as soon as this was over, uh, George, not George, sorry, Jim Jones was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to get into Guyana. And they're like, what are you talking about? And now Jim Jones is telling everybody that Walter Mondale wants to go in and destabilize Guyana. So everyone's just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, where the fuck did yeah, that like, come from? Yeah, they're like, what? It's like the equivalent of him pushing that puppy down a fucking trap door, like in front of all those, those people that he, he just gained the trust of back when he was a kid. Uh huh. It's just like that. Um, he Jim Jones later that fall uh, met with Rosalind Carter, the first lady. Um, they would also go later for a private dinner at the Stanford Court Hotel. Dude, do you think? Do you, Do you think they? No, I don't think no. so. Only because there's pictures of Jimmy Carter there with Jim Jones. Do you think they all like? They might have. Do you? You think he's into that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Three way or orgy? I think Jimmy likes to watch Carter. Um, Jimmy the Cuck Carter. So, go. Mrs. Carter, the first lady, she calls Jim Jones uh, to praise him for his People's Forum circulation, and uh, he lies to her, right? He lies. And he tells her that this reaches 600,000 people a day. And she's like, wow, how amazing. And they tape the entire conversation. Uh, that is a lie. It did reach upwards of 600,000, but that was like on a monthly basis. Uh, it wasn't like, a, oh, here it is today, and here's another you know, half a million people. It was like, so he, you know, he's talking himself up. You he's talking to himself look good in front of these powerful people, you know. Um. So now he is at the head table at the Democratic National Convention in March of 77, and he's sitting next to Rosalind Carter at this dinner. Uh, they began exchanging letters where uh, Jim Jones actually requested aid for Cuba and uh, because, I guess, Jim Jones told Rosalind Carter that Fidel Castro was, you know, a nice guy who just needed a helping hand. So he's trying to get... Uh, the Carter administration to fucking boom, help us out. And then uh, Rosalind Carter wrote back to him with a, this direct quote. Your comments on Cuba have been helpful. I hope your suggestion can be acted on in the near future. I enjoyed being with you during the campaign and I do hope you can meet Ruth soon. 
who's referring to her sister-in-law. Oh, I thought I was thinking, trying to hook her, hook him up or something. You know, I was thinking Ginsburg. Um. So, uh, when you really look at it, uh, the Carter administration actually did kind of praise the People's Temple for a little bit. It wasn't big, you know, but there well, were I mean, there yeah. were mumblings of it. Them, yeah. In, in passing, I mean, outwardly, it it definitely appeared to be a good, reputable thing going on. Oh yeah. You know? Um. So in March of '76, uh, George Moscone appoints Jim Jones uh, to the Human Rights Commission. So he is on the Human Rights Commission in San Francisco. Um, without telling the people that were going to be doing the ceremony, just minutes before being sworn into office, Jones uh, said he wasn't feeling it. And uh, he said that it was a lateral move and that I've been doing this kind of work since the 60s in Indiana. And uh, they were like, what? So all the aides in the office uh, had to scramble and get notes out to the press that said uh, they were making like alternative appointments for the swearing-in of office. Jesus. Um, so after that, I guess he just climbs the ranks even farther, and George Moscone appoints him as a member of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. <laughs> oh my God. Uh-huh. Um, so pretty much what happened, it's funny, they changed the rule because of him. Uh, when the San Francisco Board of Supervisors saw his name on the list, they requested that all appointees uh, receive thorough background checks because they they had heard some of the you know grumblings of the yeah, others so, some other things. Uh, so what he did, uh, George Moscone then turned the matter over to uh, a nomination, and he was like, "Well, if we nominate you, you don't need one." And Jim Jones won, and now he's on the board of supervisors. So this guy is just climbing the fucking this ranks, just, just very successfully. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. avoiding every fucking block in his path. Um, one of his most notable accomplishments on this commission, uh, he actually led the fight for a while against uh, the eviction by the Four Seas Corporation of impoverished residents at the International Hotel. So he was working, uh, you know, with the working class on that one. You know, yeah, he's a, he's, he's the everyman. Yeah. Um, so the federal court found that they were going to evict these people and, um, the temple provided 2000 of the 5,000 people that surrounded the building in protest. Uh, they barricaded the doors and chanted no, no evictions. And, uh, Richard Hangisto, the sheriff at the time, uh, he refused to follow the order, uh, which resulted in him being put in jail. So he didn't listen to the mayor's command of doing this, and he was just like, "No, I'm gonna help out my boy," and uh, he, you know, he fucked up. Damn! Can you imagine going to jail for somebody, and then you find out that they kill like a thousand people? Yeah, it'd be weird. That'd be it? so irritating. Um. So while this is going on, he, Jim Jones, kind of takes on Islam for a little while, and not like a fighting sense, but he really preaches about how the nation of Islam is sexist and racist and they're going to cause violence in the country. And he's really driving this into the people's temple and they're all kind of like, well, where the hell did this come from? But then it got to a point where uh, temple members 
uh, were actually taking secret pictures of Islamic people and, like, bringing them back to the temple for reporting. Jesus. And, yeah, so it kind of got out of hand. And uh, at this point, the sheriff and the mayor are both uh, out of term. So his friends are kind of gone, right? They're still around, but they're kind of... They're not able to help him as much. And with all this going on, Jim Jones is still, you know, getting the people's temple, focusing on all this. Um, then he meets uh, Marshall Kilduff. Kilduff? Uh, yeah, he he was a reporter for the Chronicle, and they were great friends. And uh, Kilduff would actually uh, write, like, amazing things in the San Francisco Chronicle, about Jonestown and things, or not Jonestown, uh, the People's Temple and Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what happened here is that very swiftly, and for reasons that are pretty selfish. I mean, the the congregation itself never got like the true answer. Yeah. But Jim Jones is dealing with a lot of different outside stresses. So, like I said, he's attacking Islam. He's kind of burned a lot of bridges in the political and the media mm-hmm. uh, spectrum of California. Dude, and he, they're kind of like watching him. You know, they're all yeah. watching him. He's always got to be on, dude. He's like in the middle of all these different lies and shit. He's got to like keep, he's got to save face at every turn. Right. He's got a lot to deal with. You so know? like he had his time in the sun and now it's all kind of crashing down around him. Like he's kind of, honestly, he's getting fucked because... Like I said, all these people are kind of keeping an eye on him. Um, they're even looking into him as deeply as thinking he's a communist and a communist-like protector. And it's all kind of crashing in on him. And this Meanwhile, a huge reason he moved to California is because he was afraid of the communists. Yeah, so it's like this dude's like panicking, right? And um, so what happened? Uh, Marshall Kildiff actually kind of started to hate Jim Jones, right? And he was going to publish this crazy expose about the People's Temple and Jim Jones in the Chronicle. But the Chronicle still had some ties to Jim Jones, so they wouldn't let him do it. So, he brought the story to the New West magazine to get it published. Ah, the integrity of journalism. And this, it's not the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's one of a few And by the summer of 1977, Jim Jones could no longer handle the stress and the pressure that was coming from the United States. So then he went back to his old tried-and-true way of focusing your attention on an enemy. And now his enemy was the government, something that he had been a part of. He'd been a cog in the machine, and now they are the enemy. So with this being said... People didn't know what to do. They're living in San Francisco, California area, and the United States government is out to come get them, and their way of life and their beliefs are going to be persecuted. It's like, what the hell are we supposed to do now? So, what's the most uh, egregious plan that can be done? Well, I'll tell you right now. What Jim Jones does is he stands up in front of the People's Temple, and he says, we had a good run here, people, but it's time for us to go. We're moving the headquarters to Guyana. And they're like, what? What did you just say? And he's like, it 75% will... 75% of them are like, is that a place? What? I've never heard of that. Like, what the fuck is that? He's Yeah, because 
in this article, it talks about how former Temple members uh, were physically, emotionally, and sexually abused by Jim Jones. Very much so, yeah. And in an effort to get the people away from this, because in his mind, the way he saw it was that the truth was coming out. Like, they saw it for what it was, and it was coming out. Yeah. And the more people that saw this and were interested in it would come to look. So his only plan of action was to pull out entirely and go somewhere where they didn't know the story. Pull out. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Guyana, and it's going to be called Jonestown. For I have founded Jonestown. And they're like, what did you say to us? So, yeah, Jim Jones moves <laughs> to Guyana. There's some steps in the middle there because he goes down and kind of evaluates before yeah, he's, he he's moves scouts there. It out. you got to visit the house. You, you don't just buy a house unseen. You know? Yeah, in the spring and summer of 77, he visited Guyana uh, twice, I believe, to scope out some land and just see kind of where they would be and how it would all work. Mm-hmm. And then once he had all those details figured out, he goes back to San Francisco and says, all of my people at the People's Temple, you are coming with me. And they do. How many people? Over 900 people. There you go. Over 900 people. So that is to say that some of them kind of saw through the bullshit. Because it, it was, it was 3,000 in like 73, and I guarantee it only got larger. So but, that that seems like some people just stayed behind. But. All of the congregations in the California area, the ones I mentioned, they were still operating. They were all operating oh. outside of Jim Jones's uh, control, but they uh, there were still followers that were in the area of California that did not go with. Interesting. But then I guess you really have to question, are they true followers if they don't go with, you know? They were probably just idiots who wanted to make positive change in the world. Yeah, so... That honestly, that's where I'm going to leave us today. Yeah, I think probably. we've traveled to Guyana. We understand the roots of how the Jonestown was created. Then yeah. we can get into the mess that is Jonestown. I do want to say, like, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about his uh, his the strange like air around his sexuality. Oh yeah, you know, dude. I have because... a quote. Can I break into this quote for oh, you? Oh yeah, go ahead. So this was written by Cudliffe. Okay. Let me cut uh, is who now again? He was the guy that broke uh, the story, that expose, yeah, about the abuse. Cool. Uh, let me let me find it. I just had it. It was it was fucking funny. You're gonna have to give me a second, Mitch. What are you thinking about all this? It's a classic blunder of man who gets caught doing crazy and bad things and has to run away. That's what it sounds like to me. And he doesn't have enough power to keep a stronghold of where he's at. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, that sounds about right, I would say. He talked himself into a hole, and now he's just trying to fly away. Oh, here it is. Here it is. According to Reverend Jim Jones, this is what he told Cudliff. Okay. All men are gay, and all women are lesbians, and I am the only true heterosexual. He is the sole (laughs) straight man. That's a direct quote from Jim Jones. Yeah. He said any any like sexual advances that people may have had, it was just compensating for the fact that they were gay. Every single person. But yeah. he also, you know how I said earlier how he would pretty much just be anything you needed him to be? 
Yeah. There was one former member who uh, apparently he got uh, uh, taken aside, you know, after the uh, after the after one of the long ass meetings. He was like, "Hey, you doing well?" Like Jim, he was to this guy. He was like, "Hey, you doing well?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, it was a great meeting. I love you. Everything's great." And he was like, "Yeah, I'll fuck you in the ass if you want." That was like a direct quote from him. And uh, he was like, uh, uh, "No, no, thank you." And he's like, "All right, well, if you change your mind, just let me know. I can do that for you." Was there any inkling of him being like a pedophile at all? Uh, nothing confirmed. Nothing I mean, really it's, confirmed. But it's a lot kind of, of insinuated confirmed. that it was like very open sexually. Yeah, like but he, there's never any true like mentionings of him, you know, being with a child. Yeah, dude, one, one of the, but no uh, one knows. He did like have a crazy sex life though. Like one of the uh, one of the original members that he got in uh, in Indianapolis because they were like you know the most devout ones. Um, she was like a larger woman, and she like super liked Jim Jones. And, uh, like, really liked him. And uh, he's like, uh, I, I don't want to fuck you, but you can be in charge of my uh, fuck schedule. He had a fucking fuck schedule for, like, people in his congregations. That's fucking baller, dude. Isn't it crazy? And, like, he would always talk about, like, the sex he'd have with Marceline, his wife. And he was like, I could fucking give it two or five times in a night. And just, like, talking about his, like, how virulent he was and shit. But, like, and... It, I don't know. Going back to like the gay thing, like he he was probably bi at most or whatever. He mainly had sex with women, but apparently he did have sex with some men. But also, there was a member who supposedly wanted to have like a gay relationship with somebody and like he, just no, be, not yeah. gonna happen in my house. Exactly. He was just like, ah, oh, man, you can't do that. No, no. Like if if you have those feelings, just go to go into San Francisco, go to a gay bar and get fucking rammed in the ass and then just come back. But no, you can't have an openly gay actual relationship. It's weird. He's a, he has a, it's, it's all about control. Right? Yeah, it is. Jim, and he had it, man. He had the control. Oh, and we're going to get into that control next week because it gets, the control gets out of control. Okay? It gets <laughs> unprecedented levels of control. The control is good. off the chain. Okay? Yeah, it's unreal. But yeah, so, yeah. so I, I want to tell you this. If you've made it through these two episodes, this is the background on how we got to Jonestown. Yeah. And, and it's almost as important know, as yeah. Jonestown because anyone could just, well, this guy just had a commune. It's like, well, how the fuck do you just have that? <laughs> yeah, this guy in Guyana had a bunch of Californians and Indiana people, uh, Hoosiers, just in Guyana. and uh, he, he killed, he killed like them 900 all. of them. It's like, it's like, whoa. How did that happen? So, yeah, that's what these two episodes have been, pretty yeah. much just leading up to that. Um, but there are uh, a little few more details that aren't as well known about the actual event oh, yeah. that we'll definitely be getting into. I'm thinking probably, oh, yeah. probably one more episode after this. I think so, yeah. Uh, we'll probably wrap it up next week. But, uh, yeah, Jonestown. Jim Jones. That's GA, baby. We are starting a cult. We are, dude. Yeah, Follow us on the Instagram. Yeah, all the, the uh, Twitter. The, sh- the shit. Uh, donate to us on Patreon, which is in the show notes. Please, sir. Yes. We love you. Please, madam. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's Grant over there. I'm Jake, and Mitch was here. He was on the couch for a while. but uh, He's here now. But he's, he's still bad. here. Uh, and we are starting a cult. We did, and we're talking about a cult. Uh, tune in next week for more of the cult talk with us, your cult. Yeah, baby. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Big Big 
Chungus. He's a big chunky boy. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.